welcome to Satsang. Hello, Vishrant. Can you please speak about today's topic? What is a reality teacher? So a lot of people think that uh, spirituality is some fluffy thing that's kind of uh, esoteric and uh, not real. But most people live in dream, not realizing that their dream is not real. They believe that what they think is real. And so they keep their awareness on what they think and they miss what is real. A reality teacher is someone who teaches you how to get back to the real. Meditation or the practice of meditation is simply recovering reality from a dream that you've probably been lost in since you went to school. And so a reality teacher is a way better way of looking at it, I think, than calling someone a spiritual teacher. Because the other thing that is absolutely real is love. What you think about love's not real, but love is real. The other thing that's real, or ultimately real, is beingness. But most people don't have any awareness on awareness. They don't have any awareness of that reality, the reality of who they truly are. They have awareness of their mind and what they think, and they think that is real, and, of course, it actually isn't. It's imagined. Without imagination, wouldn't exist. Matter of fact, without imagination, you as an I wouldn't exist. And so the quest for the seeker is to discover that that is real. And a reality teacher is someone who helps people find what is real. Sometimes they're called satsang teachers. They hold satsang, meetings in truth. The aim is to find what is real, to find your own true nature. People think they are a somebody, but it's a thought. It's not a reality. Take away thoughts and who are you? I mean... People think they're an I, they're a somebody. Well, where does that I or somebody go in deep sleep? You're still here, but the I's gone. Because it's not who you are, it's not what you are. You are pure awareness. You cannot be anything other than pure awareness. And you were here way before the mind began. The seeker is seeking that that is real. And what we truly are, pure beingness, pure awareness, truth, consciousness, God, whatever you want to call it, that is real. There is nothing real about what you think. And the big mistake that causes the, the, the suffering is the belief that I am the body. When the truth is we are beingness and we can't be touched by anything.
And so a reality teacher is somebody who is living as truth, who is trying to show others their truth, what they truly are, which is the same truth. It's not different. It's the same, same. We are all one. Are there any questions, any statements, any challenges to this teaching today? Or does anyone have anything they'd like to chat about? The first question has been written by Kamana. What practices would you suggest to expand my consciousness from lower, lower levels to the highest level? The practice of watching the mind. Develop a witness that watches the mind, that doesn't judge the mind, doesn't comment on the mind, just witnesses the mind. Because higher consciousness is the ability to see through the mind, to see everything it's doing, to not be blinded by anything that's unconscious in it. And so when we start witnessing the mind, we become more conscious. And because we're more conscious, we start to see things that the mind is doing that actually create suffering for us. And because they're seen, they can be stopped. Most people don't stop the suffering inside themselves because they don't see how they're doing it. In higher consciousness, you see it all. So you stop it. Witness the mind. Watch the mind like you're watching someone else's mind. Watch it and see what it does. Don't judge it. Don't get caught in it. Don't analyze it. Watch it. The other thing that makes a difference is openness. The more closed you are, the more defended you are, the more resistant you are, the more in lower consciousness you really are. In higher consciousness, you're wide open. So practice openness. Anything that's closed in you, anything that's resistant in you, change it. Open it up. And so witnessing the mind and the practice of openness will actually take you to enlightenment. The next question. What is the best way for a teacher to bring a student from out of their heads and into reality? <laughs> what is the best way for a teacher? Whatever works is the best way. <laughs> Roaring sometimes helps. When you're in the room with someone who's awake, it's like you're in the room with a tiger or a lion. You don't take your eyes off the tiger. You don't take your eyes off the lion. You stay present. It's the best. When you meet someone, how can you tell if they're a person who lives in the present or dreaming? I can feel them, but I don't know if everybody else, everybody can feel every, everyone. Someone who lives in the present has a crispness about them, 
a freshness about them. People who live in their heads have a staleness, a cloudiness, a fuzziness about them. There's a, an aliveness to people who live in the moment, who live in reality. There's a deadness to people who live in their heads. And unfortunately, the majority of the human population, older population, live in their heads because they were programmed to at school and they never stopped. They never came back out again. They're constantly thinking and their awareness is constantly on thoughts, which is dream, 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 dream. Present moment awareness is being present to what is real and everything is real except what you think. Sometimes I feel like it would be easier to just not be a seeker and be happy with an ordinary life. Is this a natural process to go through this phase of doubt? Happy in an ordinary life is an absolute impossibility because your people are programmed to desire what they haven't got or desire change, which is a form of suffering and get attached to what they think they have and frightened of losing it, which is another form of suffering. And so all the suffering is brought about by these two things. And people who don't have spiritual lives are constantly caught in those two things, desiring things to be different and being attached and fearful of losing what they have. And they mostly live in hope that things will get better later. So they're not even living in reality. They're living in some dream of later. Ordinary life, mundane life, is a life of misery until you die. You get born, you suffer, and you die. Higher consciousness, the pursuit of it, takes you out of that. The only freedom there is is to know yourself as truth, enlightenment. There is no other freedom. That's it. Next, we have a question from... Jyoti. Hello, Jyoti. Hi, Vishrant. Um, so uh, in the so practice, in the practice of, uh, I can hear myself as an echo. Or maybe it stopped. Okay. So um, Back through the mic here. Okay. Yep. Okay. So um, in practicing um, the meditation reality, as I'm more aware of my own mind. I am aware of my, uh, one of my belief systems, which is that I am very hard on myself. And as I'm watching that, I am falling into the trap of judging myself. And so I feel a lot of frustration at times. And I was curious if you had gone through that stage as well or had periodically if that had been your experience as well. Yeah, you're using, you're using negative motivators to try to get it right. And we develop them as children to get through school, giving ourselves a hard time for getting it wrong, beating ourselves up, basically internalizing some external bully that was in our lives when we were young to make ourselves get it right. And in a way, that's a, a form of cruelty to ourselves 
It's not being friendly. It's not being loving. It's not being caring. It may get a positive result, but at the same time, it wounds us and damages us. To become your own best friend, you don't do that to yourself anymore. You don't use negative motivators on yourself ever. You make it okay for how you are. You make it okay when you fail. You make it okay when you succeed as well. You never, ever beat yourself up because the world will do that for you. You don't need to help. So to change that, you actually have to see it happening and stop it. There is no other way to change it. You have to see it happening and stop it. And if you stop it enough, it'll stop happening. <laughs> I'm just smiling. Uh, you know, just being in your presence is such a bomb. Um, not a bomb, but a bomb, B-A-L-M. Um, <laughs> maybe I just need to per need to move to Perth, but um, yeah, oh. I'm having a hard time just stopping. I just have in this sort of, you know, maybe night, maybe one time out of 10, I can stop myself. But uh, I guess that's just a practice for me then at this time. Oh, look, you're going to fail a lot until you succeed because you have a default pattern of years of using negative motivators to get things done, to actually achieve things. And it would have been developed when you were very young. And it's very common. It's very common for people to have negative motivators where they beat themselves up, give themselves a hard time for getting it wrong, for failure. And you can get a positive result from that, but there's a negative result always in that you wound yourself every time you do it. Because you're not being your own best friend. You're not loving you. You're not caring for you. You're actually treating yourself like a piece of machinery that needs to be thrashed into uh, life. There's no gentleness. There's no tenderness in it. There's no sweetness in it. You've become your own worst enemy. I can see that. So you will fail, but just keep trying. Just every time you notice yourself giving yourself a hard time, using negative motivators on yourself, beating yourself up, stop it. Just stop it. Don't don't engage in it. Okay. It is hard. You're not. You're right. It's very hard, but uh, it's worth it. Yeah, well, the problem lies in that it actually works. Beating yourself up can produce a, 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 a positive result. But it's, it's, as far as um, you as a human being and your life quality, you're, you're creating low self-worth. You're, you know, you're running yourself down. The world is going to try to do that to you. You never want to help. Be on your own side. Be your own best friend. Thank you, Vishant. Thank you, Jordan. The next question is from Susha. Hello, Susha. Hi, Bhagwan. So I, when I talk to people and they're telling me a story, um, how, how should I work, react, respond to them, react to them? without showing, showing that I don't care and at the same time not buy their story? What can I do? Well, you know, I, 
I don't buy a story full stop. I can't because it's just story. You know, people want to make themselves feel unhappy by telling stories of how their lives aren't working. And I know that's what they're doing. Um, so I listen to them and then I change the subject. <laughs> because I'm not interested in supporting someone hurting themselves. I, I care about people. And when people start telling you negative stories about their lives or whatever, it's like, fair enough, but let's talk, let's have a look at this over here. A little bit of diversionary tactics because really and truly they're just hurting themselves. If they're saying negative stories, yeah, there are people who insist and keep coming back to the same thing, no matter what you do. And, and it sounds like I don't care. No, the weather's always interesting to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> is there something I can be listening and also saying internally to myself that this is a, some bullshit story and I don't care inside me and my, my thing is I get carried away and it becomes, and somewhere I start carrying that energy. Well, it's because you must be buying the story. It's only a story. There's nothing happening most of the time. When people are talking to you, usually there's nothing happening. They're just making it up. Okay. I'm trying to figure out, can I stay with my breath and not be... What am I? I I'm, yeah. Here's the thing: if you if you stop buying your own story, because your story is just as much rubbish, uh, it's very difficult to buy other people's stories. But while you're still entertaining your own story of my life doesn't work because, <laughs> you're going to buy other people's stories because you're you're still victim oriented. Yes, I am more and more aware of that. And you've been teaching us to take responsibility for our feelings, how we feel. I get it, but it doesn't sink in. There, what is it about not taking responsibility or not wanting to take responsibility? It could come down to wanting acceptance from others as well. Have you looked at that? Yeah, I did not. <laughs> you see, when you stop entertaining people's stories, and I'm not talking about being rude, but when you stop entertaining them, a certain number of people won't want to talk to you anymore because their whole life is wailing about how their life isn't working. Yes. Um, they're just very negative. So in some ways I'm selling out. Well, the drama queens need to drag other people into their story to make the story seem real. And so it's, they try to include as many people as possible in their story to make it seem real. But there's nothing real about it. There's nothing happening. Oh, by the way, drama queens always are the centre of attention. Yes, get that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thank you, Paco. The next question is from Chris. Hello, Chris. Hello, Vishrant. 
when when I was younger, I had the feeling that I was special. And I I think it always got me in trouble. And the older I've gotten, I've found out I'm not special at all. Could you talk about that? I'm not sure where that came from. It's, I felt special. Yeah. But, but the ego wants to be special, you know, like it, it's part of the, it's part of the nature of the ego. It's like you go into a monastery and you have monks competing with each other. I'm poorer than you. I eat less than you. I have a smaller begging bowl than you. I, I sleep on a harder mattress than you. You know, the competition doesn't stop because this is ego, the way the ego operates. The only way to actually really find peace is to be okay with being absolutely ordinary because we are. We're just ordinary, but we, we want to be special. We want to be different. We want to outstand. But it's a trip. It's an ego trip. And usually it's covering probably a little bit of low self-worth somewhere. But it's okay to be ordinary because it's real. It's okay to be a nobody going nowhere because that's the truth. Nobody's going anywhere. We're, we're, we're stuck on this ball hurtling through space at 25,000 miles an hour and there's no one driving. We're not going anywhere. We're all going to die. It's okay to be ordinary. It's okay to be a nobody going nowhere because it's absolutely accurate. I would agree with that now, but it got me into a lot of trouble, I think, when I was younger. Yeah, well, you know, walking around in a Superman outfit with your underpants on the outside is a bit weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, look, I, I was an egomaniac when I lived as an ego. I, you know, I tried to be special. I understand. I, in, in, watch, in witnessing the mind, I got to see how it all operated. It's, you know, bigger than Ben-Hur. A lot of people operate this bigger than Ben-Hur act or pretty as, you know, Barbie doll look. And it's all just trying to be special, trying to be accepted, trying to be a hero of some kind. It, it, but really, the bottom line is we are just ordinary. We're not going anywhere. We're not better than anyone. We're not less than anyone. We're all the same. And once you accept that, it's a relief because it takes a lot of effort to be a somebody. It takes no effort at all to be real. No, I agree. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. One, one more thing, uh, Chris, uh, when I, I, I knew that I had to discover this to be true for myself. And so when I was, uh, when I was 33, I gave my companies away, took my shoes off, walked around Australia as a bum because I didn't like the ego I'd become and I wanted to find my heart. And in that journey around Australia, walking as a bum, I got to discover how ordinary I was and how okay it was to be a nobody and how much effort it had taken in my life to be a somebody that everybody else looked up to. And it was just such a relief 
to be a nobody going nowhere. In other words, to be real. Yeah. Okay, Chris. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. The next question has been written by Michael. Hello, Vishrant. I've been watching your videos for many years now, and I wanted to thank you for the wealth of guidance you have provided me. I was hoping that you could provide me with some, un some help understanding how to incorporate some of the things you talk about into my life. I understand how important surrender is, but how do I surrender? Okay, you can't. What you, because surrender is an undoing, you can't do surrender. But what you can do is practice acceptance. And we, every day, we get so many things that uh, we have an opportunity to practice acceptance on because things don't go exactly how we want. People don't do what they say they're going to do. Things, <laughs> things go wrong. And so we have these opportunities every day to practice acceptance instead of resistance. But mostly people practice resistance because that's what we we're programmed to do. That's how we survive. The practice of surrender is different because it's not part of the survival mechanism. It's not part of the programming. And we learn it through acceptance of life as it is rather than resistance to life as it is. And that's up to you because you're the only one who's going to be able to do that. Nobody can do it for you. And so surrender is learnt through the practice of let go and the practice of acceptance. And eventually it's a non-doing because the practice of acceptance annihilates the mind that resists on the way to freedom. The survival mechanism just struggles until it dies. That's what it does. That's what it's programmed to do. But because we're intelligent, we can learn to accept life as it is and stop struggling. And then life is quite peaceful. As long as we're struggling and striving, we're not going to be peaceful. As long as we're ambitious, we're not going to be peaceful. I like the way the Christians put it. Let go and let God. There's another part to Michael's question. I understand that I must dismantle my belief systems, but how do I go about doing so? Ah, the belief systems all have um, faith inside of them. Uh, they believe to be real. The moment you put doubt inside a belief system, the belief system itself loses integrity. And so the way that we undo belief systems is pretty simple. We just put as much doubt from as many angles as possible into the belief system and it loses its power, loses its integrity, and it collapses eventually. The next question has been written by Brian. In my experience, a relatively quiet mind is needed to practice openness because a noisy and unconscious mind is very reactive and it is very hard to be receptive in an unconscious state. 
Do you have any comments? Yeah, it's true. Uh, being able to relax your mind is really important. Having an uptight mind doesn't work so well. And so anything that allows you to relax your mind, besides taking drugs, uh, is probably good. Besides drinking alcohol, which is another drug, it's pretty good. So maybe walks in nature, maybe staring into space, maybe meditating, watching the breath. Whatever brings you to a relaxed state of mind is brilliant because that's when we can see things. That's when we can start to really change things inside ourselves. We can't do it while we're running 10 to the dozen. We can't do it while we're stressed out. It happens because we're relaxed. The same as enlightenment happens to a relaxed mind, not an uptight mind. Awareness can turn on itself and stay on itself because the mind is relaxed and out of the way, not attracting attention to itself. I got given the name Vishrant because I wasn't relaxed. Vishrant means relax or restful. And I was given that name as a sadhana because it was something I had to learn to do. And I was given the prefix prem, which means love. And so restful love. And so I looked at that and I went, well, I'm definitely not, haven't got that much love in my life and I definitely aren't relaxed. So here's the journey. This is the journey to get to a relaxed mind and find love, restful love. The next question has been written by Tharanga. How do we be present to the moment and watch our mind at the same time? That is watching the mind is pure awareness. Eventually it becomes aware of itself. The witnessing of the mind without being involved in the mind develops a detachment. That that's aware is who you are. That that's aware is always been who you are. And so at some point in witnessing the mind, the awareness that is there turns on itself. And this is another methodology to enlightenment. So you develop this silent witness that watches the mind rather than constantly being involved in analyzing the mind or engrossed in what it's doing. You witness the mind. This is a whole way towards enlightenment. Just watch the mind. Just watch it and watch it and watch it. Don't do anything. Don't judge it. Just watch it. You'll see so much. You'll see so much you don't want to see. <laughs> Just witness. Just witness the mind. Don't get caught in analyzing. Don't get caught in trying to understand. Just witness the mind. The next question has been written by a viewer on YouTube. What's your take on multitasking? Is it a good practice? You mean like driving a car and having a conversation with someone in the car at the same time? <laughs> I'm pretty sure all of us can do it. I don't have a problem with it. You seem to think that somehow multitasking is not okay or that it's in the way. 
as human beings, we are very good at multitasking. I don't see it as a problem at all. Well, we'll come back to what I said before. We need to learn to relax. Doing too many things at once is not relaxing. <laughs> the next question has been written by a viewer. When I share the pain that I'm experiencing with someone else, I feel relieved. So isn't it good to have someone who'd listen to our stories and suggest a way out of our suffering? There's nothing really wrong with that, but the spiritual journey is a solo journey. You can't really lean on anyone because if you do, then move away, you'll fall down. You've got to remember that the mind is constantly looking to be comfortable, constantly trying to avoid pain. And one of the best ways to learn acceptance is to actually be okay with pain rather than try to avoid it, to find a way to accept it, to try to find a way to accept the discomforts of life rather than constantly scrambling to avoid them. And so it's up to you. It is nice to have someone that can listen and understand, but what if that's not available? What about listening and understanding yourself? What about being kind to you? It is up to you. This is your journey. Nobody can do it for you. It's so funny. You get on this journey thinking that you're going somewhere and you find out that you're everything and that there was never anywhere to go because you're already at home. You just weren't aware of it. The next question is from a bay. Hi, Bhagwan. Hello, Bai. Bhagwan, uh, does watching our mind include everything like the thoughts, what we speak, how we behave, body movements, yeah. all this? Everything. You just watch. You just witness it all. And in, in witnessing it, having that detached witness, you see so much because most people don't really witness their mind. They get caught in dreaming. They get caught in the dream itself. In witnessing the mind, you have detachment from it all. So you see a whole pile of things that you hadn't seen before, defense systems, hidden agendas, all sorts of things you see. And you get to see the things that are in the way of higher consciousness. So now they can be removed. I had one more question. Did looks ever matter for you? Were they important for you? Heck yeah. I was an egomaniac, like everybody else. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Yeah, I got caught in that trap. I got caught in every trap, I think. But I was interested in freedom. 
and there's no freedom in being caught in being concerned about what other people think of you. That itself is a prison. When we seek the acceptance of others, we are putting ourselves in a prison. And so not interested in doing that any longer. Haven't been interested in doing that for about 30 years, actually. <laughs> what other people think of me as their business, nothing to do with me. Anything else, Abay? That's all, big one. Thank you. The next question has been written by Prem Prabhat. Hi, Vishrant. Only a few reality teachers, like Osho and you, have managed to live in abundance and style. You have managed to attract abundance even as you gave up your possessions. Is that a skill such teachers develop or is abundance bestowed upon you by existence? It has been a very fortunate life in that I was programmed at quite a young age to be successful at whatever I did. And these programs became default patterns in me. At the age of 19, I started removing all limiting belief systems uh, because I got involved in personal growth intensely. And I removed all limiting belief systems. And when a human being is programmed for success and they remove all limiting belief systems, no matter what endeavor they get involved in, they're likely to be successful. And so in this life, I can't blame it to anything else except programming. The programming has been good. It's like I have a Midas touch. Everything I touch turns to gold and pretty much effortlessly. But that's because I'm not loaded with limiting belief systems and I'm programmed with an understanding of what works in the world, whether it's a material world or the spiritual world. There is a recipe for success and the same recipe exists for every endeavor in life whether it's sport or music or business or, or higher consciousness, it's the same recipe and it has the same ingredients, but most people let themselves down somewhere. They don't follow the recipe because they believe they can take shortcuts. And so I know I've known for a long time, what works in any endeavor is totality. And if you put your totality into something, you're likely to succeed. But most people try to take a shortcut. They try to do it partially. They don't give things their totality. And so they fail. It's up to you. Have a look at your mind and see, has it been programmed for success? Has it been 
has the, have the limiting belief systems inside of you been removed? Because if they haven't, and if you haven't been programmed for success, well, the chances are you're not going to succeed. If you approach things from a way of partiality, well, the chances are you won't win at anything. Totality rules today. It really does. In spirituality, you know, in business, in sport, music, art, you name it. How total are you? You see, someone who's awake has given their life to God. That's a totality. No conditions, unconditional, unconditional surrender. That's a totality. And that's what works. Another thing that successful people understand is discipline. And discipline's really, really, really simple. You simply do not give yourself a choice. You decide to do something and you do it. You give yourself no choice. This is discipline. You could say that's a form of totality as well. People who are undisciplined let themselves off. They take other choices and, of course, they fail. There's a recipe for success. It's worth looking at. Do you have it? Do you operate it? Or do you operate something else? The game of higher consciousness demands totality and it demands discipline. The next question has been written by Sally. I used to find I have lots of problems and those problems were my motivation to cultivate myself. Now I feel no problem now. Where should I go and start to continue to get higher consciousness? Uh, and so I've, I've seen life pretty much as different mountains to climb. And so once I left school, the mountain to climb was the mountain of success in business. And there's certain rules that you have to play by. It's mostly resistance and totality, uh, standing alone in resistance. And that works, totality. In higher consciousness, it's a different mountain. It's a different mountain to climb. And it requires a different set of rules. You have to learn to stand alone and surrender. And so that's very different than standing alone in resistance. But it's just mountain climbing. It's like, what do you want to do? If you don't put your totality in what you want to do, well, it won't work anyway. And if you're, not feel, if you're feeling half-hearted, well, that's not going to work, no matter what you're doing. Make a, set a goal, make a plan, execute the plan. You want to raise your consciousness levels? Wow. Basically, you've got to learn to die as an eye. Make a plan. <laughs> Find yourself someone who's awake. Become their student. Let them point the way. 
let them help undo you. There's nothing else worth doing here except raising your consciousness levels and getting free. And on the way, it's nice to know love. I became a devotee of love before I became a devotee of truth. As a devotee of love, I had to learn to get out of the way. I had to learn to be a giver. I had to learn to open up. And so I had a goal. I made a plan. I executed the plan. Openness counts for everything. It's up to you. Just wanting things, wishful thinking, doesn't actually work. You have to make a plan and go for it. Action it. Plan to get what you want. So for me, the goal was uh, heart, love. And I had to strip myself down to find that one because there was too much of me in the way, too many defense systems, too much resistance. So I just took all that away. And I found love. And after I found love, and I was in service to humans. And a Vaidapadanta teacher came to town. And when he walked in the room, I found myself as beingness. Of course, I lost it again pretty quickly. But I found myself as beingness, Satori. Then I had a new goal. The goal was to know myself as that all the time. So that was the goal. The plan was to get Vishrant out of the way because the only thing that is in the way of enlightenment is you. There is nothing else. You and who you think you are is in the way, nothing else. And so you learn surrender. You find a way. You practice acceptance. You practice let go. You put your totality into it. Totality works. It rules the day. And you will fail, and you will fail, and you will fail. doesn't matter how many times you fail. Just keep going. Don't stop. Okay? As a devotee of love and truth, were you a devotee of your teachers? Absolutely. I did love my teachers to bits. My first uh, teachers were... Um, not awake, they were into uh, teaching me how to live a life that was successful, personal growth. And I was absolutely fascinated by them because they were more conscious than I was and they knew things that I hadn't even dreamt about at school and I did love them. And then I found uh, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, uh, who was my spiritual master. He germinated the seed of higher consciousness in me, my crown opened, my third eye opened, and my heart opened in his presence. And I loved him to bits. I love him to bits right now. And all my other teachers I loved as well, even the ones that weren't with me, even the ones, because I had, I had some Advaita Vedanta teachers who were with me here in West Australia. They come and visited. But I took Ramana Maharshi on as a teacher as well, and he died four years before I was born. And I took Robert Adams on as a teacher also. 
and Nisikandata. I took him on as a teacher also, and I loved them too. I mean, these guys are all lights, being lights, so others could see. And I love them to bits. I've heard you say that what you can see and hear is real. However, blind and deaf people can't see or hear. How is it real if it is subjective? More than likely they can feel touch and taste and vibration. That is real. What they think about is not. When, I, when I'm with people, when I'm with humans, other humans, I feel them. I can feel their pain. I can feel what their minds are doing. I can feel what energies they're carrying. That's real. What I think about is not real. And so I read people by watching their body language, by listening to the tone of their voice, watching their facial features, and I read their energy. And their energy is usually a lot more honest than anything else. But all of that's real. What I think about is not real. And so if I was blind and deaf, I would be using touch. I'd be using smell and I'd be using my ability to sense energy to read people. All of that's real. What I think about it's not real. Okay. Is living in reality required to live the way of the heart? Pretty much. Yeah, because heart is real. And what you think is not. So when you have your awareness constantly on what you think, you have too strong a filter in the way of reality. Love is real. What you think is not. But a lot of people have so much of their awareness on what is not real, they miss what is real. And if that thought pattern, which is resistance, becomes heavy resistance, well, now you have defense systems that stop you from feeling love at all. The best way to feel love is to be, or perceive love, that's a better way of putting it because it's always here, is to be wide open. Openness counts for everything. How did you discover that there is something bigger than the mundane that we live and that we live in a matrix? By accident, well, let's say I set up the accident. I was self-inquiring walking on the foreshore in uh, Adderdale some 35 years ago. I was self-inquiring and I'd been self-inquiring since six in the morning, just asking the question, who's it? Who am I? And answering it and discounting it. There's a Zen methodology of self-inquiry, Zen Buddhist. And around 10 o'clock, my mind was very relaxed. I was very at ease. An accident occurred. I asked the question, who am I? And I answered it, nothingness. And it was like an echo began. And I drifted 
into the echo and found myself as the nothingness and then found myself as everything, every particle in the universe. And I'm not sure how long that lasted for. I think it lasted for quite a while. It blew my mind completely. And I could never see myself as a human being again because I knew, my mind knew, that I was not the body, I was not the mind, I was pure beingness and I was everything and nothing. And so from that day on, even though I, I lost this awareness, came away from itself and back onto the mind, I saw the body as a spacesuit with an onboard computer that was a bit nuts. And it had absolutely nothing to do with who or what I truly was. That was the, that was the first major time that I found myself as something else besides the mind and body. The next question is, I've had glimpses of reality, but I tend to forget and get caught on the mundane. How do I not forget? <laughs> yes, I know that one too. Why awakening stayed here, I, have, I don't really know. I was in the presence of an awake teacher and I'd been in the presence for two weeks and I was finding myself as the space and the sense of being a somebody was completely gone. But when my teacher went away, it stayed. My mind had been basically uh, undone in that most of the belief systems that would cause contraction, if not all of them, had been removed. And so my mind was very much at ease and at peace, not contracting over things going wrong, not contracting over anything. And awareness stayed aware of itself. And it stayed aware of itself now for 22 years. But I don't know why, really. I've heard lots of people talk about different reasons why it can stay and why it can't stay, but honestly, I don't know. It just is. I know that my mind was prepared in that the things that would have dragged awareness back to it were removed, but ultimately, I don't know. There's no sense of a somebody talking there's no sense of somebody being here. There's being here, but there's no sense of anybody being here. And at the same time, there's this world that I can see, but there's the vast universe that is self also right now. And my mind doesn't know. just is and so the invitation is for people to find this as self
you undo yourself as a as a mind you undo yourself until the mind will support what has been found creating a mind that in buddhism is called equanimous a mind that doesn't go into reaction to things a mind that stays calm and cool and i feel this sort of mind will support enlightenment but i really don't know the more the longer the longer the time is that awakening has occurred the less i've realized i know anything it's all just gone i just am I am, I am. I think on that, we'll call it. Thank you for that, Singh. Good to see you, Braveheart's here today. <laughs>